Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner, and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. I'm so excited that you are joining us today, week two of our new teaching series that we are calling No Gray. Now listen, there are many things in life where there is gray, right? Not everything is black and white, but particularly when it comes to the things of God, there are a few areas where it is black and white and there is no gray. Last week, we looked at that first kingdom value where we talked about living for the now versus living for the eternal from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And that's what we're doing in this series for the next three weeks, uh, including today. We are going to be looking at three more kingdom values. Like I said, last week we looked at Uh, living for the now versus the eternal. If you missed that sermon or you're looking for more resources, you can go to the link on the screen and you can find all of those resources at our webpage. We are continuing by going into another kingdom value, looking at selfishness versus selflessness. Now, here's the reality, and I think every single one of us would agree with this. We are all selfish people. I thought about that this week, and I thought about, uh, if you remember Burger King's old slogan, have it whose way? Your way. Have it your way. Why? Because I want what I want. In my own personal life, one of the things that I hate to do is do the dishes. And in fact, the only thing that I hate more is looking in my sink and seeing that there are dishes in the sink. And so I will do the dishes uh, regularly, almost daily, because I don't want there to be dishes in the sink. But every once in a while, I get kind of busy, and I'll get behind on the dishes, and I won't get to do the dishes. And there's this thought that comes into my mind where I'm like, man, I hope my wife, Rachel, does the dishes. And then when she doesn't do the dishes, I get bitter towards her because she didn't do what I wanted her to do. Why? Because now she's encroaching into my time because I've got to go home and I've got to do the dishes. Do you see how selfish that is? And if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us struggle with selfishness. We want it our way. But the kingdom value, the way that Jesus wants us to live our life, is not in selfishness, but in selflessness. And so we're going to go to the book of Romans. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, a church planter, a pastor, wrote this letter to a church that he actually did not start and had yet to visit. And at the very back of the book, Romans chapter 14, he writes to this church and he talks about this very issue, selflessness versus selfishness. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 14. We're going to kind of read this in chunks as we go. So I want to start by asking this question. Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself 
Are you being selfish or are you living for others? Being selfless. So let's look at the first five verses. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, in order to understand verses 1 through 5, there's some context that I want us to lay out. But here's the first point I want you to get that I think Paul is getting at in these five verses. We need to accept one another even when we disagree. Accept one another even when we disagree. Now, the context is so important because what Paul is dealing with is he's dealing with a church in the city of Rome, which was the center of the known world, that really is comprised of two main groups, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Gentiles were literally any other race and ethnicity other than Jews. Now, don't forget, right, Jesus was a Jew. And so these Jewish Christians recognized that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah who had come to redeem them and save them. But the, these Gentiles recognized that, listen, Jesus is the Savior of the world. But when they, while they agreed that Jesus had come for them, they disagreed on a lot of cultural elements, in particular, things that came from the New Test or the Old Testament that these Jewish Christians were following. So Paul gets at this idea of being weak versus strong in the faith. For Paul, here, the weak were the Jews who were still practicing Jewish kosher laws and following certain holy days. So the kosher laws in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat things like pigs or uh, hooved animals, those sorts of things. Crawfish would have been out of, the, out of the case for us. We wouldn't have been allowed to eat it if we were Jewish. You, would, you could only eat certain foods, and then you would follow certain holy days. In particular, you would follow the Jewish Sabbath, which in, or begins on Friday night and ends on Saturday night. So those, Paul is saying, those are the ones that are weak in the faith. They are saying, listen, if you're going to follow God, we need to do these things. But then there were those who were strong in the faith. These were the Gentile Christians, the non-Jews, who were following Jesus, but saying, listen, we don't, it doesn't matter about these dietary restrictions, and it doesn't matter necessarily what days we do certain things on. Now, why is all of this important? Because what Paul is getting at is they fundamentally disagree on some things. The Jews, these Jewish Christians were living their life one way. The Gentile Christians were living their life another way. But here's where Paul goes. He's basically getting at while they disagree on many of these issues, they fundamentally agree that Jesus is 
their Savior. In theological language, a lot of theologians talk about theological triage. Now, the word triage you might be familiar with because we talk about it when we go to the emergency room. If you're a doctor or a nurse, you guys talk about triage. What's triage? It's where you have multiple cases and you're looking at the severity of each case. So if someone comes, if three different people come into the emergency room, one has a migraine, one has a cut that needs stitches, and another has a gunshot wound, which one are you going to attend to first? Right, the one that's most serious, right? So that's the gunshot wound. And then probably you're going to stitch up the wound, and then you're going to work with the migraine. So you're performing triage. Now, Theological triage is recognizing that there are multi, a multitude of different beliefs and that we're going to disagree on certain things, but are all disagreements significant or are there minor disagreements? One of the ways that we talk about this at Vintage Church is there are closed-handed issues and there are open-handed issues. The closed-handed issues are things that we are never going to budge on. Things like this, that God exists as the Trinity. That God is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Or we're never going to budge on the fact that Jesus is fully human and at the same time fully God. We're never going to budge on the fact that Scripture is authoritative for us. Why? Because it's been inspired by God. Those are things that regardless of our culture, regardless of the time, regardless of whether or not people disagree with us, we're not going to budge on. They're closed-handed issues. But then there are open-handed issues where we will have differing opinions about these things, but those things are not going to cause us to separate. Things like what we believe about alcohol. Can you drink alcohol as a Christian? Should you not? Speaking in tongues. We believe in the miraculous gifts. But we also recognize that not everybody agrees with that. Not everybody practices speaking in tongues. The end of times views. Many people, they read the book of Revelation in many different ways, right? Those are open-handed issues where it's like, listen, we can disagree on those things and still coexist. Now, listen, it gets messy in the middle because you have your closed-handed issues, you have your open-handed issues, and then you have these issues where Christians agree or disagree and it begins to divide them. A great example of this is baptism. We do not believe in infant baptism here at Vintage Church, right? But then I have Presbyterian friends who baptize infants. Now, I disagree with them, but I still consider them a Christian. I think they're wrong about that, but their faith in Jesus, what they believe about Jesus, those closed-handed issues, we agree on. And so I want you to just wrap your mind around that as we think about disagreeing. Because at the same time, there are many issues, like I said, those open-handed issues, or even those middle issues where we can accept one another even though we disagree. And those are just biblical and theological examples. I mean, good night. There are so many different other political examples. Can Republicans and Democrats coexist in the same church? I think so. Can people of different races and ethnicities coexist in the same church? Absolutely. We should be able to accept one another even when we disagree. 
And Paul gives us these options. He basically gets at, in these five verses, how can we treat those we disagree with? And he leaves three options. Number one, we can despise them. Those who despise is where the strong despise the weak. I mean, how dare those weak Christians, those who think we need to do this, would put that on us, right? So we could despise them. We could judge them. Paul talks about the weak Christians judging the strong. And that kind of judging is not the judging that Jesus necessarily talks about that we need to do, but it's being judgmental, right? So we can despise them, we can judge them, or, and this is the point that Paul is making in Romans chapter 14, we can accept them. Twice, Paul talks about welcoming them. In verse 1, as for the, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then just a little bit farther down in verse 3, let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has done what? Welcomed him. The language of welcoming or accepting is about receiving one another. And here's the thing, it's not about tolerating one another. You and I, we live in a world where we have to tolerate people all of the time. The church is not to be a place where we simply tolerate one another. It's to be a place where we receive one another, where we welcome one another, where we accept one another. Why? Because this is not a club. The church is not a club where it's like, if I get what I want, I'm going to stay. The church is a family. And you and I know the thing about family is that it gets messy. But love is real in a family. And so we literally, we are brothers and sisters in Christ accepting one another even when we disagree. And you probably have those relationships in life where you have somebody you disagree with, but you're able to coexist and not just coexist, but accept one another. In my house, I want to share just a real touchy personal subject with you. Most of you know my son Gabriel. Gabriel is nine, and Gabriel several years ago was diagnosed with autism. And that wasn't something that my wife Rachel and I were prepared for. And so when Gabe was diagnosed with autism, we had a ton of questions. And to be honest, both Rachel and I, while we love our kids, we approach our kids and parenting in different ways, similar ways, but different ways. And there, were, there was a time in, in my marriage and in parenting where Rachel and I were really at, uh, at a head regarding our parenting. I thought Rachel uh, was too easy on Gabe, and Rachel thought I was too hard on Gabe. And we would literally, this was probably one of the issues that has caused uh, the most tension and the most uh, fighting in my marriage. And we finally had to come to this realization. Number one, Rachel and I love each other, and we are committed to one another, and we want to stay with one another for until either one of us dies. And number two, we love our son, and we're committed to our son. And so there are still moments in my marriage where she thinks I'm going too hard on him, I think she's going too soft on him, but we don't let that disagreement get between us. That's how you and I are supposed to handle conflict. That's how we're supposed to handle disagreements. We accept and welcome one another even when we disagree. So here's my question for you. 
for those of us who are a part of Vintage Church, how do you treat those within Vintage Church you disagree with? Do you despise them? Do you judge them? Do you try to avoid them? Or do you accept them? Despite your disagreements, do you welcome them and receive them because they're your brother or they're your sister? We're supposed to accept those we disagree with. That's how we live lives that are selfless rather than selfish. Let's keep reading in verses 6 through 12. Here's what Paul continues to say. He says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he, give thank, gives, he, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. If we are going to live selfless lives, then it means, number two, that we live for Jesus, not ourselves. You live for Jesus, not yourself. Notice what Paul does in verses 6 through 12. He levels the playing field between the strong and the weak. He says, why are the weak abstaining? It's to honor the Lord. Why are the strong observing? To honor the Lord. What Paul is getting at is it's not about despising the weak or judging the strong. What it is, is that they are doing both of those things because they want to honor the Lord. And what he's getting at, I think, in all of this is the reality that Jesus didn't live for himself either. Jesus lived for God. I thought about a passage this week in the Gospels, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. The the disciples are there with Jesus, and they're dialoguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who gets to sit with Jesus. Listen to what happens. Verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, you tell me, does that sound selfless or selfish? It's pretty selfish. Verse 36, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to him, to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink and that with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it's for these to whom it has been prepared. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. More selfishness. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Selflessness. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Selflessness. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus Himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus Himself modeled in His own life this kingdom value of being selfless over being selfish. Jesus was God. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, that He left heaven and put on flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life did not deserve to die, but instead, as he says in Mark 10, gave his life as a ransom, giving up his life for us, being our substitute, dying on our behalf, because it's our sin that separates us from God. Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything, including us, and it was perfect. We were in right relationship with God, but we chose to disobey God. And now, because we've disobeyed God, our parents disobeyed God, we're separated from Him. And Jesus is saying in Mark 10 and throughout the Gospels, and actually the entirety of Scripture points to this, that Jesus came and lived a selfless life for you and I. He went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. Now, we can be reconciled with God. Our sin can be paid for. We can be made right when we respond to that gospel message. And when, number one, we repent. Repentance is an act of selflessness. Because you recognize, listen, I can no longer live for myself. The way I've been living is a life of sin, separating me from God and from others. And then, in faith, we turn to Jesus Where we say, again, selflessly, I can't save myself. Jesus, I'm trusting you to save me. But that repentance and that faith cannot be left private. That's where the moment of baptism comes in. Because in front of everybody, including God, we publicly confess our faith. Going under that water, being buried with Jesus, and coming up out of the water, being resurrected with Jesus. And it's in that moment we are saved. Here's a question for you. Whose lordship are you submitting to? Your own or Jesus? Because what Jesus is getting, or what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 14 is that reality. Listen, both the weak and the strong are submitting themselves to Jesus because he is the Lord of life and death. What Paul is getting at is if you are a follower of Jesus, you are under the lordship of Christ. Your life is no longer your own. You belong to Jesus. So it's not about your selfish desires anymore. It's about being selfless, living for the Lord, knowing you're going to, this is what Paul gets at, stand under his judgment. And because you're living for the Lord, now you're living for others when we submit to jesus we acknowledge life is not 
about us. So here's my question for you. Who are you living for? For yourself or for the Lord? So we can live lives of selflessness when we accept one another despite our disagreements. When we live for Jesus and not ourselves. And let's keep reading in verses 13 through 18. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, it, in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not, or by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. If you want to live a selfless life, what Paul is getting at is number three, we have to love one another as ourselves. Love one another as yourself. Look again in verses 13 through 18. What's Paul saying? How should we be living? Number one, not passing judgment against one another. He has said that multiple times now. The point is not to look out at one another and be judgmental. So we're not to be passing judgment. We're not to be hindering one another. At the same time, Paul says, listen, don't put a stumbling block in front of your brothers and sisters. That imagery is we've been running a race. So your brother is running and you put a, a stumbling block in front of them. You put an obstacle in front of them causing them to trip and to stumble. Don't do that either. Now, here's the incredible thing to me. Look at verse 14. Because what Paul says is we don't need to do those things even when we disagree. Here in this passage, he says, listen, I actually agree with the Gentile Christians, those he considers strong, that to, you know, to live by these dietary laws and to follow these particular days we don't need to do that anymore in jesus so even though he agrees with the strong in the faith he still says don't pass judgment on one another don't hinder one another instead what are we supposed to do verse 15 for if your brother's grieved by what you eat you're no longer doing what walking in love you and I, if we are going to live selfless lives, it means we walk in love. We live out love. Love is never just what we say, it's what we do. We live lives of love. And this isn't new to Paul. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But that wasn't new to Jesus, Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.18, the law. The book of the Bible, right, Leviticus, that many of us don't like to read. 
But Jesus is quoting, saying, God said a long time ago to love your neighbor as yourself. And what does that mean? It's not a selfish love, but you and I, we eat, we sleep, we drink. Why? Because we know we need those things. We take care of ourselves. And just as we take care of ourselves, we are to love and take care of other people. To walk in love means we don't just do one loving act, but that our lives should be characterized by loving actions. We live a life of love. That's what it means to walk in love. And then in verse 17, Paul, I think, really gets at the gist of this. The kingdom of God is not about our opinions or our preferences. It's not about what we should eat or what we shouldn't eat. But what does he get at? He gets at some of the fruit of the Spirit, that if all of us as followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in us, then it means that we will live out what? Righteousness, peace, joy, and ultimately love. It's not going to be about our opinions. Several months ago, Vintage Church did a series on racism. And I'm not going to lie to you, after the fact, I recognized that many people were not happy about that series. At the same time, I recognized that many people we're very thankful that we did that series. Some people thought we did that series because we just wanted to get political. We wanted to be political. I'm not even sure what that means necessarily. We preached on racism because of love. Because there are many black and brown brothers and sisters in our church that never had never heard us say what we think about the sin of racism. And what I wanted more than anything was to let our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as those who are seeking and searching, who are black and brown, who don't know Jesus yet, to know that we love them. You could say the same thing about COVID, right? Everybody's up in arms about COVID and wearing masks and social distancing, the reason we're doing what we're doing regarding COVID is because we want people to know we love them. It's about love. So here's my question for you. Is what you're thinking, feeling, and doing right now loving? Because that's what we've been called to do. My prayer is that you're not thinking about what's in it for me. I want to do this, or I want the church to do this because me. But rather, am I thinking, feeling, and doing things that are loving others? It's about being selfless rather than being selfish. Let's finish up by reading verses 19 through 23. Here's what Paul says. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. 
But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Lastly, if we're going to live selfless lives, living for others and not ourselves, we are to work to build up one another. Again, look at verse 19. Paul says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What, see, what Paul is getting at is this image of a building, that literally a building has been raised. And what Paul is saying is, this is the church. The church has been built up by God. It's his church. He's built it. And what he says is what we should be about is what continues to build up the church, not tear down the church. And if we pursue what we want, our self-interests, instead of what is needed for others, what we are doing is we're no longer building up the church, we're tearing it down. That's what Paul's getting at. So think first not about your, how your actions make you feel, but think about how your actions make your brother and sister feel. Yes, even those you disagree with, how do they make them feel? For me, it always goes back to relationships. I don't care if you're married or you're single. You are in relationships with people. Think about your most significant relationship. It's your family or your spouse or your kids or your friends. Anytime you're in any sort of relationship, you have to think beyond yourself. Because listen, in a relationship, there are often things that you have to do that you don't want to do. That if it was up to you, you would rather do something else. But if you're going to make that relationship last, if it's going to work, you have to do things you don't want to do. You have to do things that are better for the person that you're in relationship with than yourself. And this is what Paul is getting at. Because what he's saying is, listen, freedom is our right. In Christ, you and I have freedoms. That because of the gospel, there are things that we can do, but even though freedom is our right, love should be our guide. So Paul is saying, listen, yeah, you can eat what you want, you can drink what you want, you can celebrate on what day you want. That's your freedom. But is that the most loving thing? See, our freedoms don't always build up. So Paul says, lean in on love because love should be our guide. Love is the thing that ultimately builds up. So here's my question for you. How are you working to build up your brothers and your sisters? You're thinking less about yourself. You're being less selfish and you're thinking more about others. You're being more selfless. Here's the reality. The church is a tough 
and messy thing because of people. You and I, we are messy. It's messy because you and I, we are selfish. What did I say at the very beginning? We want it our way. Have it your way. It's messy. It's selfish. But you and I, we're not called to be selfish people. This is where it is black and white. There is no gray. We're called to live selfless lives. And we're going, to, we're going to spend our entire lives pushing back our selfishness and fighting to live selfless lives. So here's my question for you is, what do you value more? Do you value yourself or do you value others more? If you want to live selfless lives, accept one another even when you disagree. Live for Jesus and not yourself. Love one another as yourself and lastly build up one another. In the face of selfishness, we must pursue selflessness. Selflessness being others and their good. It's black and white. There is no gray. If you follow Jesus... The life that we should be living is a life of selflessness, not selfishness. Pursue others and not yourself. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, for the example of Jesus, that he did not live a selfish life. Instead, he chose a selfless life. And so help us now, Father, as we reflect on our own life and we choose to live a life of selflessness. We love you and we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.